reason I showed you guys that is because um, Landon's just two, and he has no idea what he's singing, right? I mean, he's, he's singing that because he's heard me say it, or he's heard his mom say it. And so, you know, he's just singing, we love God, we love God. And um, I think it's so important that we realize sometimes the words we're singing and, and the reason that we do the things that we do and, and the reasons why we believe, believe the things that we believe, right? Um, like we talk with the kids all the time, like Landon and Kate and Brandon. We, we say, you know, you know, there are people that believe differently than we do. And we kind of talk about why we believe this and, and why we think that Jesus is alive and that he rose from the dead and all this cool stuff. And um, it's so important that their faith one day is, is their own, not just because I'm a pastor or because mom and dad said so or whoever told them. It's so important that they understand why they believe. And that's why we're doing this series, this series called Evidence. It's a 10-week series, and um, it's the longest series we've ever done. And it's just basically the reason that I'm a Christian. And I've told you guys all through the series that I'm a skeptic at heart and, uh, you know, stuff that comes at me. I question it and I doubt it and I wonder and I look and I pull it apart and I try to figure out. And um, so here we are kind of together doing some of that questioning and figuring out and, and just really trying to see like why we believe this, okay? And if you're not a Christian here tonight, we're so glad that you came and we're glad that you're here to just kind of check stuff out with us. And um, we're just basically asking a lot of questions and we're looking through things and, and trying to see what all this is about. And um, we've been using this example of this chair. This is my desk chair, as a lot of you guys know. And I took it apart and there are 10 pieces to this chair. And just like you would never be willing to just sit down on just one piece of this chair. You'd never trust this with your weight. Um, you wouldn't do that with Christianity either, right? So often we're asked to do that. Like, oh, just believe in Jesus. And, and you know, and maybe somebody will give you like one good argument or one good answer. And they expect you to just give your whole life to God on the moment there. And um, what we're doing is we're just piece by piece putting the chair together, right? And so we've done three weeks so far. Tonight will be part four. And so here's my little fourth piece. And uh, I have trouble getting these wheels in, actually. It's, it's a lot harder than it looks. Ask Ryan. He works in Staples and he knows all this stuff. So there we go. All right, good. So, yeah. So what we're doing here, <clears throat> apparently tonight's message is going to stink because uh, that didn't stick at all. But uh, what we're doing here is just putting the chair together because what we, what we really believe is that at the end of this series, as we continue to put this stuff together, as I squeeze this as hard as I possibly can, um, what we really believe is that you'll see that Christianity is something that has a ton of evidence, a ton of pieces that come together and can support the weight of your faith and your eternity even. And so that's kind of where we're headed and what we've been doing. Let me just real quick, and I'm going to do this quick because uh, I've been taking a little too long on the reviews. Uh, but real quick, I'll give you where we were the first three weeks, the first three parts of the chair. And um, if you missed this, please check out the podcast because I'm going to do in the next two minutes what it took me about an hour and a half to do in the first three messages combined. So, all right, here we go. Uh, the first week we basically said this. We said that the evidence points toward God. Um, if you begin to just start at the, at, the, at the very basic level, you begin to say, all right, well, is, is there a God or isn't there a God, right? Uh, do we just get here naturally? You know, does evolution just explain why we got here and explain away a need for God? And so do we just stop there? And what we said was is that the evidence points toward God, not away. And again, if you're here for the first time, you're just hearing that statement and you believe in evolution. You're like, what is this guy even talking about? That's, that's ridiculous. So I'd encourage you to check out that first message. I didn't disprove evolution, okay? Um, but we did question it and we did look at some of its basic claims and ask the question, does it have a leg to stand on? And what we found was is that a lot of the, the claims that evolution makes um, doesn't really stand up when it's scrutinized, okay? And um, I'll just say this too, like with this whole evolution thing, um, if you ask any evolutionists, if you ask anybody, I mean, you talk even about these guys like Christopher Hitchens, who wrote God is Not Great, or Richard Dawkins, who wrote The God Delusion, and these guys are heavy into evolution, okay? If you ask any of them, 
how did we get here? Like, like, okay, you believe in evolution. You believe it explains how we got here. What was the first thing? How did life begin? How did something come out of nothing? Do you know what they'll say? We have no idea. We don't know. We have absolutely no way to answer that question. Because the reality is, is that evolution as a theory of things coming out of nothing, it can't explain that first step. It actually starts right after the first step. So evolution, if you believe, ah, oh, it tells us how we got here. Well, it doesn't really, all right? It, it kind of comes in after that whole thing starts. And they don't know. They, they can't give you an answer, okay? So what we said was that there's reason to doubt that naturally we just somehow showed up here. And one of the answers they give is, is, is on the backs of crystals, um, certain things begin to happen. And, and these are one of the theories. And, you know, there's big reason to doubt that. Okay, And the opposite was also true. In the same message we said, not only does the natural not necessarily explain how we got here, but the supernatural is possible. In fact, many of us in this room have experienced it. And so a lot of times those two go together. Well, natural reasons tell us why we got here and supernatural is impossible. But what we talked about that first week is the natural doesn't really account for how we got here. And the supernatural is possible. And in fact, many of us in this room have experienced it. So then the question for week two was, well, if there is a God, then, then who is he? Right? And so real quick, what we did was we lined up everybody, well, not everybody, we lined up a bunch of religious leaders next to Jesus. Muhammad, Buddha, uh, Joseph Smith from Sci- um, Mormonism, and L. Ron Hubbard from Scientology. And we just asked the question, where's the truth and the power? Okay? And here's what we determined as we looked at those guys together. All four of the other guys, and you can line up any other religious leader along with those four. And I'm not, if you're from another faith, I'm glad you're here. I'm not trying to put you or your faith down. We're just talking about kind of where we found truth and power. And as you line them up, you see two things true of all the alternatives, all the alternatives, whether it's Joseph Smith or it's Allah or or Buddha. They all make claims that they can't verify. In other words, I was enlightened. Well, how can you prove it? Well, I can't. I was kind of by myself. Okay, Muhammad, you saw an angel. Can you prove it? No, I was by myself. Okay, so not verifiable. And secondly, it didn't have power. Their claim didn't have power for anybody else. Basically, Buddha says, I'm enlightened. Now go get yourself enlightened. Muhammad says, I saw an angel. Now be good and you'll work your way to Allah. Okay? Where then suddenly Jesus comes in and you look at his initial claim and he says, I'm the savior of the world, son of God. And what does he do to show us? Is that verifiable? Well, he died on a cross and he rose again. And if you don't believe that, that's why we're doing this series. So it's awesome that you're here. Okay? And what about the power question? What does his death do for anybody? Well, it saves anyone that's willing to have a relationship with him and put their faith and hope in him. And so we saw that, man, truth and power are found in Jesus alone. Then last week, we basically just gave you a little bit of a picture, right? A lot of people look at the two parts of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and they say, it doesn't seem like they line up. The Old Testament seems like it's all about works, and you've got to work your way to God, and there's like these you know, weird sacrifices of animals and stuff. And what we said last week was all of that was a picture of what Jesus would come and do. Every little piece of it was a picture. And I want you to imagine, like, the stage here was filled with a big picture. Last week, we were basically zoomed out, okay? I gave you a tiny little glimpse of how the Old Testament pictures Jesus coming and being that sacrifice, okay? And now tonight, what we're going to do is, it's like if I gave each of you guys a magnifying glass, and I said, Chris, Andrew, I said, come up here. All right, the picture's here, right? Just come up and get as close as you want with that magnifying glass, and see, analyze every little piece of that picture. That's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at the details of the picture tonight. Because we're going to talk about the prophecy. Um, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes technology freaks me out. You're, you're, I love technology. I'm, I'm really into that kind of stuff. But you ever feel like, man, sometimes it's just like it's, it's too quick. Like it, like it knows stuff. 
Like, it's almost like Terminator-ness. It's like becoming self-aware, you know, and you're starting to get a little freaked out. Like, on Twitter, just when I first started, uh, my son had recently gotten a Razor scooter. One of the, the Reichenbachs had given him a Razor scooter. And so I just tweeted, like, thank you, Reichenbachs, for this Razor scooter. And, like, a minute later, Razor scooters were following me on Twitter. Like, like a second. Like, I didn't at them or, like, you know, any of that stuff. I just literally said the words, and boom, they were following me. Then this happened last week, right? Um, some of you guys might have seen this if you follow me or if you're my friend on Facebook. But I found this verse in Leviticus 13, and this, is, this was my exact Twitter. It said, if a man loses his hair, he is clean, though he is bald. And then I said, this verse really speaks to me, okay? <laughs> now, I woke up the next morning, and guess who was following me? Hair regrowth how? Okay? Like the next morning. And I'm like, what the heck, okay? So, so like, just, it's just, sometimes it's freaky, right? Sometimes they're just right there with you, you know? But what if technology wasn't just right there with you, right? What if somehow an event was going to happen in the future and they knew what was coming? And not just technology, but what if, what if a God communicated with people and gave picture after picture after picture after picture and detail and intricate detail after detail and said, somebody's coming. The Savior of the world's coming. And I'm giving you little glimpses here. Glimpse after glimpse, I want to show you what it's going to be like. And, and, and this is so powerful. Tonight what we're talking about is so powerful because this is incredible evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. All right? And we're going to look at this and be somewhat skeptical, skeptical tonight because I can't really help it. All right? But um, So we have 350 prophecies about Jesus written 750 to 1,000 years before he ever came. Okay? That's pretty good. All right? Just imagine this. Imagine... Um, it's 2010, right? So let's go back a thousand years. In, in the year 1010, right? Somebody prophesied six things about, about my kids, right? They say, all right, they, they get their names, Cade, Bryn, and Landon. So that's three, right? But then they go a little bit deeper and they start to get a little bit, a little bit more into it, right? And they start to detail things and they start to say things like, well, Cade's really going to be into, you know, superheroes. And you guys can check out this picture and see I'm not messing with you, right? I mean, that's, that's like... I don't want to like get struck with lightning, but that's like the superhero trinity or something right there, right? I don't even know what to say about that, okay? You got like Spider-Man, Batman, and the Hulk. It's pretty epic, right? And then Bryn, that she would be an absolute fashion diva, okay? Here she is. Yes, I know. And she came down, she came down from her room one day, right? This is about two weeks ago. And she goes, I'm ready for fall. Just like that, okay? So she's all set, okay? And then... Of course, Landon, that he was going to be a total babe magnet. So check this out. I know, right? Isn't that incredible? And don't you love, don't you love how she's like looking for affirmation? You know what I mean? And he's just totally playing the cool. He's like, yeah, you want me, you know? He's like, I know it, right? He totally, totally is playing. He's a little smirk, right? Okay. He's basically saying, I'm more about this drink than you, but I'll hold your hand. All right. All right. That's pretty much what's going on right there. Okay. So. A thousand years ago, 1,010, right? Imagine that, six prophecies. You'd be like, wow, that's, that, that's, that's pretty crazy, right? But, but what about 350 detailed, incredible prophecies that Jesus would come and the exact things that he would do? Now, some of you guys are skeptics like me, and so you think, all right, here's what I think happened. And this is one of my big objections when I was first learning about this stuff, is that Jesus came, right? And then the people who wanted to make this look good said, oh, well, you know what? Let's, let's write in the things that Jesus did and we'll say David said them in the Psalms and we'll say this guy Isaiah said them and we'll say Micah and, Je- and, and, and Zechariah said them. And, and so what we'll do is, is you know, we'll say, oh, this was part of the Old Testament 
But really, we wrote it after Jesus came and did these things. You guys catch what I'm saying? Well, we know that can't be true, and here's why. Because you, and you guys Google this. This is just history, all right? In 250 before Christ, okay, the Septuagint was put together, and that was the translation of the Old Testament of books like Psalms and Isaiah and Zechariah and Malachi, a lot of these guys who wrote these prophetic things. There was the translation from Hebrew to Greek, okay? And again, you can just Google that and find that that's there. So we know absolutely that 250 BC, all of these writings were collected as they are and translated from one language to another, 250 years before Jesus ever came, okay? So the, the, the at written, written, wrote them in after thing doesn't quite work, all right? And so here's what we're going to do tonight, all right? We're just going to look at them, okay? Not all 350, right? Uh, we're just going to look at a few. But I want you to see the detail. And, and we're going to look at it skeptically. We're going, to give, we're going to give the skeptics a little bit of a benefit of a doubt tonight and ask some questions like maybe they would, okay? Like I would, okay? Um, but here's where we're going to start. We're going to start with David who wrote a lot of the Psalms. A lot of you guys know, right? And he wrote a thousand years before Christ. And remember, these were all collected by 250 BC. Okay? And so here's what he says in Psalm 22, verse 1. And if, and if this were the only thing, and I were going to try to claim, like, oh, wow, look what happens, um, then you could be absolutely skeptical and rip this thing apart. But this whole chapter is like snapshot, snap, snap, snap. I can't even say that. Snap, snap. <laughs> snapshot. Okay, that's pretty gross, actually. Um, snapshot of Jesus, one after the other. Ryan, edit that out. Thanks, bud. Um, Psalm 22, verse 1, listen to what David says. He says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Right? Well, look a thousand years later what Jesus says on the cross. Matthew 27, 46. About three o'clock, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now, you're going, okay, so what? He said the same thing the other guy said. Right? Now, again, stick with me because this whole chapter has more and more detail. But let's just think about this for a second. Let's be skeptical. Let's say that Jesus wasn't really the Son of God, okay? And he wasn't there to rescue people from their sins, and, and he was just going to die, right? Let, let, let's say that his whole goal was to be famous and have some kind of power, right? Um, so he's saying he's the Messiah. He's saying, here I am to forgive sins, and I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And somehow he was able to, you know, fake all these miracles and whatever he was able to do, and he got himself famous, right? And then he's up on a cross, Okay, he gets himself crucified for it. He's got nails through his hands and his feet. And, and we've talked about this before. You know, that nail going through the median nerve in the hand would have been the most painful thing imaginable. Okay, so you guys get this, right? He's been beaten already almost to the point of death before they put him on the cross, right? Where they took these big lashes that had, you know, you guys have probably seen the Passion of the Christ, right? You saw the, the metal on the end of those things that just would rip flesh off his back as he was being whipped, Right? So he went through all that, and he's up on the cross. Okay, let's, we're just being skeptical here, okay? And he's going, still, it's running through his mind, okay, I'm, I'm famous, and I've got some kind of power here. Look, look at my followers, who, according to the Bible, they all f- f- ran away and fled anyway, right? But let's just say, okay, he's up on the cross, nails through his hands, and as he's there, the thought going through his mind right now is, okay, what was that verse in Psalm 22 that I was supposed to quote right now? You know what I mean? What, what, what was that? Okay, yeah, okay. Why have you forsaken me? Right? And we've got to say this about Jesus. If he wasn't God, and he was really after fame or power, then man, he took it all the way. Right? Um, I was watching this Sylvester Stallone movie from the 80s called Lock Up. 
Um, and he gets in jail, and then the, the warden there hates him, of course, and so there's this big fight, and he frames, uh, the warden keeps framing Stallone, so he'll never get out of jail and the whole thing, you know. And so Stallone, of course, escapes, and he climbs through a tower, and he's going through the steam pipe room and all that stuff, right? And he gets the warden, and he actually puts him in an electric chair, right? And the, the warden is sitting there, and, and Stallone's saying, you know, you know, you frame me, you know, Adrian. No, no, no. And, uh, and uh, so he's sitting there. And all of a sudden, all of, like, the other jailers come in, and they all got their guns on sly, you know. And everybody's looking at him. And uh, he's going, he's, he, you know, he's screaming, like, admit it, admit, 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 you, you know, you set me up, you set me up. And just about before he's about to pull that lever, right, the, the warden, I did it, I did it, I did it, right, he comes clean. That's exactly what Jesus would have done if he was about fame and wealth. Oh, wealth, we know he didn't even have wealth, not even a place to lay his head, right? But if he was about fame and power, then the moment they, they took that, that big cattail out to start ripping his back apart, he would have said, just kidding. It wasn't really me. But instead, he lets him do that. He lets him spit on him, as we're going to see, and put a crown of thorns on his head and put him up on a cross. And then in that moment, he remembers, yeah, I'm supposed to quote Psalm 22, verse 1 right now. If he's not God, he took it all away. Next part, Psalm 22, same chapter. I'm skipping some of these verses, not because they're not appropriate or they don't give more pictures, just for time's sake. Verse 6, he says, Yet I'm a worm and not a man. I'm scorned by humanity and despised by people. All who see me make fun of me. Insults pour from their mouths. Look at Matthew 27, a thousand years later. But he had Jesus whipped and handed over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the palace and gathered the whole troop around him. They took off his clothes and put a bright red cape on him. They twisted some thorns into a crown, placed it on his head, and put a stick in his hand. They knelt in front of him and made fun of him by saying, Long live the king of the Jews. After they had spit on him, they took the stick and kept hitting him on the head with it. So, all right. If Jesus is still after fame and popularity and power here, then basically what he's had to do, if he's going to get to this place, is get a bunch of people and basically get a group together. Let's just say I said to all of you guys, Hey, I'm going to let everybody know I'm the Messiah. And I'm kind of in this thing, you know, for good. So do me a favor and just insult me and beat me. And you know what? Make sure those, those soldiers get a hold of me and make sure they begin to spit on me and make sure that they treat me horribly and put a crown on my head. Things outside of his control. Psalm 22. Again, they shake their heads and say, put yourself in the Lord's hands. Let the Lord save him. Let God rescue him since he's pleased with him. Matthew 27, verse 39, a thousand years later, those who passed by insulted him. They shook their heads and said, you were going to tear down God's temple and build it again in three days. Save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. The chief priests, together with the scribes and the leaders, made fun of him in the same way. They said, he saved others, but he can't save himself. So he's Israel's king. Let him come down from the cross and we'll believe him. He trusted God. Let God rescue him now if he wants. After all, this man said, I'm the son of God. And so you have, again, more things outside Jesus' control. Now, check this out. Psalm 22, verse 11. More and more, this is stuff Jesus could not have orchestrated by himself, right? Verse 11, do not be so far away from me. This is a thousand years before Christ. Trouble is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls from Bashan have encircled me. They've opened their mouths to attack me like ferocious roaring lions. A thousand years later, Matthew 27, 22, Pilate asked them, then what should I do with Jesus, who's called Christ? He should be crucified, they all said. 
Pilate asked why. What has he done wrong? But they began to shout loudly. He should be crucified. Pilate saw he wasn't getting anywhere. Instead, a riot was breaking out. So Pilate took some water, washed his hands in front of the crowd. He said, I won't be guilty of killing this man. Do what you want. And the people answered, the responsibility for killing him will rest on us and our children. And so if you're a skeptic, you can look at this and say, yeah, it's kind of vague though. Okay, you can maybe take this a couple different ways. Now we're going to get detailed. Psalm 22, same chapter, verse 14, says this. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. Okay, it's a scientific fact that crucifixion and the process of getting the person on the cross would actually pull the bones out of joint because basically crosses were made one size fits all, okay? And there were certain areas they had to get your limbs if they were going to get you on that thing right. And so if you were not long enough, then they would put a rope around your arm and just yank, rope around your leg and yank so they could get your body, your feet, your arms all in the right spots. And so it's just a scientific fact that all of this pressure, this hanging, the way they get you on the cross, it actually pulls your bones out of joint. And here's David writing this a thousand years earlier as he's saying all these detailed things. Now, Psalm 22, this is the biggest one right here. Verse 15 to 16. You lay me down in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A mob has encircled me. They've pierced my hands and feet. Now, we've heard about crucifixion our whole life, especially if we're Christians. You grew up in church. You've heard about crucifixion your whole life. When David wrote this, Crucifixion didn't exist. There was nothing like it. It wasn't used as a means of execution for hundreds of years after David's death. I was doing some research online, and don't quote me on this. This is the best I could find. What I tried to find out who the first person was that was killed by a gun. Okay? And what I found was it was an Englishman killed by a Frenchman in the year 1415. So you never turn your back on the French, okay? Um, I don't know what that means exactly, but all right. Um, imagine, though, if in the year 415, the year 415, okay? A thousand years before that happened, right? There's no such thing as a gun. Nobody's thinking about guns, right? There's no such thing as, you know, a bullet and a little handheld thing. And, and, and what happens? But somebody says, you know what? In a thousand years from now, somebody's going to be able to pull a trigger and a piece of metal is going to fly out of a barrel and whoever it hits, it will kill. I mean, that's basically the detail that David's giving us. Perfectly describes crucifixion a thousand years before Jesus is on that cross. And we see the fulfillment of it in John 19, verse 16. Then Pilate handed Jesus over to be crucified. So the soldiers took Jesus. He carried his own cross and went out of the city to a location called the Skull. In Hebrew, this place is called Golgotha. The soldiers crucified Jesus and two other men there. Now, here, this next part is where David starts kind of showing off a little bit, I think. It's kind of like, all right, you already got like the insulting, okay, you already got um, the hands and feet being pierced. And if I'm sitting with David as he's writing this, and if I had any understanding of what he knew God was going to do and, and this whole picture of what Jesus would do, I would be like, dude, all right, that's a little much, all right? You're almost going over the top now because this next verse is just ridiculous. Psalm 22, verse 18 says, they divide my clothes among themselves. They throw dice for my clothing. And that's just like the most random thing. Okay, at a crucifixion, a man's on a cross. Okay, as his feet are getting, and his hands are getting pierced, what, these guys are down here gambling for the clothes? Like, like how, how, you know, how possible is that, right? John 19. Now we're, look, we're switching from Matthew to John, just so you guys get a different eyewitness. 
Verse 23 says, when the, soldiers had, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them four ways so that each shoulder, soldier could have a share. His robe was left over. It didn't have a seam because it had been woven in one piece from top to bottom. The soldiers said to each other, let's not rip it apart. Let's throw dice to see who will get it. And John knew Psalm 22. In, the way, in this way, Scripture came true. They divided my clothes among themselves. They threw dice from my clothing. So that's what the soldiers did. Now, again, let's be skeptical, okay? Jesus on the cross. All these crazy things have happened to him. And from the cross, as he's hanging there, he's already quoted Psalm 22. He got the you know, forsaken thing. He's and, and, and as he's up there, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful at all. This is just what would have had to happen if Jesus manufactured all this. He's up on the cross and he goes, Psst, right to the guards down below. He would really help me out if you would um, throw some dice for my robe. You know, this whole thing, I'm trying to pull off this Messiah thing. If you could just, right? I mean, obviously that's not what happened. That's ridiculous, right? Jesus is in torture. He's in agony and he's up on this cross. And this is true of him because he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. Isaiah 53. Let's go to another Old Testament prophet. We just have a few more to read through together. He says, We have all strayed like sheep. Each one of us has turned to go his own way. And the Lord has laid all our sins on him. Romans 6.23, a different witness, Paul now, says the payment for sin is death, but the gift that God freely gives is everlasting life found in Christ Jesus our Lord. So now Isaiah is prophesying this 750 years before Jesus came. And he's saying, you know what? It's just one guy. It's going to carry all that sin, all that shame, and free us from our deserved punishment. And Paul says that's exactly what he did. Isaiah 53, verse 7. He was abused and punished, but he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was like a sheep that is silent when its wool is cut off. He didn't open his mouth. Listen to this. Matthew 27, 11, 14. Jesus stood in front of the governor who was Pilate. The governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Yes, I am, Jesus answered. Now listen to this. All the accusations start coming. What does Jesus do? While the chief priests and leaders were accusing him, he said nothing. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear how many charges they're bringing against you? But Jesus said absolutely nothing to him in reply. So the governor was very surprised. All this stuff, man. If it was me, man, gosh, forget it. Jesus is, if the Bible's true and Jesus is absolutely perfect. I mean, don't you hate it when somebody accuses you for something you didn't do? Like my kids will flip out. You know, if you accuse them of something that they didn't do, they will like, you know, just... My son's face, like the vein here, you know, his eyes all widen up. Like, you know, it wasn't me, right? And here's Jesus, just silent. All these things. He's a blasphemer. He's cursed. He's dishonoring God. All these things come. He doesn't even open his mouth. And again, Isaiah explaining this perfectly. And I'd encourage you, if you're, if you're wondering about these, read Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. I'm taking little snapshots, right? These whole chapters are all about him. Last one we'll read together, Isaiah 53. And this was completely out of Jesus' control. If you want to say any of these was out of control, this is the one, okay? Um, Isaiah 53, verse 9 says, He was placed in a tomb with the wicked, so he's dead now, has no control over this. He was put there with the rich when he died. Although he had nothing violent, or had done nothing violent, had never spoken a lie. 750 years before it happened, here's Matthew later. In the evening, a rich man named Joseph arrived. He was from the city of Arimathea and become a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate ordered that it be given to him. 
Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. Then he laid it in his own tomb, and he was a rich man, if you remember what the beginning of the verse said, which had been cut in a rock. After rolling a large stone against the door of the tomb, he went away. So I hope you see, we have all this detail. And there's more. We could be here all night. 350 of them, right? Where Jesus is born, born a virgin. I mean, going on and on. I was born in Huntington Station. Had no control over that. Couldn't do anything. Couldn't have been born in Smithtown if I wanted to, right? Nothing to do with that. Jesus, where he'd be born. In Micah 5, 2, you can read it later. It says Bethlehem. I mean, just detail, detail, detail. So last week we resumed out, but this week, man, as you've had that magnifying glass up, have you seen how David and Isaiah knew that he would be mocked, that he'd be surrounded by people who hated him, that he would be beaten and spit on, that he would have his hands and his feet pierced, that they would gamble for his clothing, that he'd be placed in a rich man's tomb. Details after details after details. And so what I want you to take with you tonight and what I hope will be for you some compelling evidence is this thought that the prophecy is powerful evidence that Jesus died and rose again. All these prophecies, and you can research them. I'm sure if you Googled you know, prophecies online or whatever, but seriously, most of them, many of them anyway, are in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. Just check out those chapters when you get home. Picture of Jesus over and over again. And so, so far in this series, man, we've laid out the fact that the supernatural is possible. Well, who is it, man? Truth and power are found in Jesus alone. Guys, Buddha, no offense, but Buddha didn't come for you. He didn't have his body put on a cross for you. Muhammad, Allah, didn't either. Joseph Smith did not. God of Jehovah's Witnesses did not. But Jesus put his body on the cross and his death is your life. And so as you look at the evidence, and as last week we saw the little snapshot, and tonight we got up real close and looked at the fine detail. I hope more and more some of you guys are, are more convinced. I hope some, more, some others of you guys are getting answers for people that, that you know and care for that have great questions. And if you're not a Christian, I hope that maybe at the very least there's some bit of curiosity arising up in you saying, I, I want to look into this. There's two great resources out there that if you're searching, we'll just give them to you. Um, the Case for Christ and The Case for a Creator. If you're really into science and evolution, this is great. These were both written by an investigative journalist who set out to disprove Christianity and actually ended up finding so much evidence that he became a Christian and ended up being a pastor. He wrote both these books. If you're looking just for answers about Jesus, we got six more weeks together here doing this with me, um, but this is quite better. Um, and uh, The Case for a Creator if you're really trying to find answers about creation and evolution. But I just hope that tonight you're, you're seeing the incredible detail that these guys saw between 750 and 1,000 years before it ever happened. That's powerful, man. It, you know, uh, we were over at Smithtown Christian this past week, our staff here, and we, were, we had an awesome time. We were able to hang out with the kids all week, and, and they had something, uh, a week-long thing we were able to speak at and stuff and do, do music. And um, we were praying for a lot of the kids, and it was so cool because as we were praying for them, we really felt like God was, was directing a lot of that prayer and that he was leading us to pray. And, and if you're not a Christian, there's nothing weird about that or freaky, you know. Um, sometimes when you're, you're praying, God just 
you know, begins to not like speak to you in an audible voice or anything, but he begins to just give you certain impressions. And, and, and the, the cool thing was as we were praying for these kids that we heard back from some teachers later that they were saying things like, how did those people know all the stuff that was going on in my life? I don't even know them. And what was that? That was just God showing up and leading that. It, it was supernatural. It was powerful. It was beyond me. It was beyond Joey and Andrew and Ryan and the other people that were there praying, the other teachers and staff. And it's God speaking through people. And that's what David and Isaiah did. And they described perfectly what Jesus would go through. And some of you guys, let's stay with the skepticism, right? Some of you guys are asking another question now, which I asked, which was, all right, well, how do we know that Matthew and John and Paul were telling the truth? Right? Okay, so it's one thing if there really were prophecies, but it's a very different thing if they're fulfilled. And how do we know if they're fulfilled? Well, next week, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how we know the eyewitnesses were telling the truth. And so I hope you guys will come back and check that out. But I hope tonight, man, if you're a Christian, you are really excited about how much evidence there is. And if you're not a Christian, I hope you're, ba- I hope, I hope you're just beginning to become more and more curious about this man named Jesus who loves you so much that he gave his life for you. And so tonight, just grab this, take it with you, think about it, research it, study it for yourself this week. That prophecy is powerful evidence that Jesus died and rose again. Let's pray together. God, we just want to know you for who you are. We're not trying to manufacture anything here. We're not trying to uh, get some kind of fame and 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 power and wealth for ourselves. God, we just want to show you for who you are. We want to see you for who you are. So I just pray that you would be very active throughout this series, convincing people, God, and and convincing people that were like me because I needed so much convincing. I needed so much evidence before I would sit down in that chair. And I just pray for the people tonight that are still doubting, and I understand that, and I just pray for them that, God, you will show up in their life in such an amazing way and that you'll do things way bigger than my words. If you're a Christian, just take some time and just just begin worshiping God. We're going to sing two more songs now and we're going to worship together. But right there in your seat, would you begin to just worship God that he has left so much evidence that he's given us things like these prophecies. And if you're not a Christian, I just want to give you a few different invitations. The first one would be Come back next week. You could totally disagree with everything I said. I'd still love for you to come back next week. If this is true, or if there's the potential of this being true, then what could it hurt to come back next week and continue to check it out? If you can't come back next week, at least take one of those books that were given away. Second invitation I'd give you is if you're not a Christian and you're, you're, you're like not sure about all this yet, but you're curious, I would say, maybe would you be willing tonight to do something a little crazy and just pray a prayer to God and say something like this, God, if you're there, would you show yourself to me? The Bible says that when you look for God with all your heart, that you'll find him. He's there. You just dig. You keep on peeling layers away. You're just going to keep on finding more of him. So maybe some of you tonight just say, God, help me to see you if you're there. Give me, give me, Give me a a passion and a desire to look for you with all my heart. If you're not a Christian and you just feel like right now you want to be a Christian, you're like, wow, that was 
a lot of evidence tonight, or maybe you know, it had nothing to do with this message tonight. Maybe it was having a friend with a, or a conversation with a friend on the way here, or, or one of the songs, or you just feel something going on in your life right now that you can't even put your finger on, and you want to start a relationship with Him, then just silently pray something like this to Him. Jesus, thank You for dying for me. Thank You for giving Your life. Thank You for rising again. And taking away my guilt and my shame and my sin. Help me to see how real you are. Help me to see how much evidence there really is. Amen.